Storm Bowling Products, the Bowler's Company presents the Storm Collegiate Spotlight with Steve Klimkin and Tim Berg. Storm's Executive Director of Marketing and Above180.com's Tim Berg are going to introduce a variety of collegiate players, coaches, and key people involved in promoting the sport of bowling. Now, here's Coach K and Tim Berg. Joining us on the Storm Collegiate Spotlight podcast is Brian O'Keefe. Brian is a director of bowling for McKendree University. He's also a former assistant coach with Team USA, and he's the head coach of Junior Team USA. Brian, it's Tim Berg and Coach Casey of Clemkin here. Thank you for joining us today. Hey, Tim. Thanks for having me. It's been a while. I know I was on your show. Uh, geez, I'm terrible at times. Maybe it was a couple years ago. Maybe it wasn't that long ago. But right now, everything seems like it was a really long time ago. So, yeah, thanks for having me again, Jen. Well, sure thing. So you're the director of bowling for McKendry, and you're still the junior team USA coach as well. So we want to begin with the news that came out not too long ago regarding collegiate bowling being postponed, not being canceled or anything. We want to make clear of that. But just uh, talk about the postponement of the season. It's set to begin now January 2021. What does that mean for you at McKendry, and and how are you looking at things as the director of uh, the program there? Yeah, that's, you know, obviously uh, things have been so fluid throughout all the summer. Um, you know, I kind of had a feeling I was, I was thinking this was the direction it was going to go. I had no inside information, most certainly no inside knowledge. Just my brain kept thinking that, you know, it seems like every month it just nothing's really changing. Everything's changing and nothing's changing at the same time. So it seems like we're getting closer and closer to the start of the school year. We're getting closer and closer to the start of the college bowling season, but yet, you know, if anything, we're, we're spiking across the country. So I just kept thinking, you know, there's a good chance this is going to, you know, hopefully not be canceled and just be, you know, indefinitely postponed or postponed to a specific date. And sure enough, uh, that's what came out. So uh, I've almost been, you know, getting myself ready for it. So it wasn't that big of a surprise for me yesterday. Um, but I will say that, you know, there's, you can always look at things, the good and bad, right? You can say, woe is me. And, you know, unfortunately, there's going to be a lot of kids coming back to school and aren't going to get to compete right away. Um, but hopefully, you know, we can look at the brighter side of it. Uh, you know, our program and no other program across the country has had you know, pretty much three and a half months to develop players. Uh, this is going to be the first time that we've had this long to really work on games and work on mental games and work on lane play without having to break it up and go compete. And you know, as you guys know, as bowlers, you know, sometimes when, you, when you're trying to work on things, but then, you know, every weekend you have to stop and you have to start keeping score and try and compete and knock down the most pins you can, it can kind of hurt your development because you, you end up going back and forth between what you used to do and what you're trying to do. So I'm going to look at it as a positive from the development standpoint of the players on our team um, is that, you know, we're going to have from – the middle of August, uh, our school is still planning on coming back uh, the middle of August. And so hopefully we're going to have from that middle of August to when they leave Thanksgiving time to really just develop and hone their skills a little bit more. So um, that's my that's my optimistic look at how the fall is going to look. Is, is that going to affect or do you have a, a tryout selection or is it all pretty much you know who's going to be on the team or do you have uh, how did, how is that first uh that first month, month and a half or so going to go where maybe before it was kind of crammed in a real tight window and now you have a little bit more time. Yeah, Steve, ironically enough, I just got off the phone with our men's head coach, Dennis Knepper, about 15 minutes ago and we were mm -hmm. talking about it. 
um, you know, generally we do things a little bit differently. Uh, I actually think, um, you know, some other programs have maybe, maybe adopted a little bit what we do here at McKendry. Um, and I guess they say, you know, imitation is like a good form, best form of flattery. So I like to think that mm. we maybe we're doing things a little bit different and uh, people are liking how we're doing it, but we don't have, you know, tryouts in your, in your normal sense of what people would consider tryouts where you just show up you know, you put on your bowling shoes, you bowl games, and how many ever pins you knock down over the course of, you know, how many ever games, you know, it can be eight games, 16 games, 24 games, 100 games, you know, put the number of games to it. Uh, we don't do things that way. Um, reason being, uh, what we developed inside the Team USA program for about a little more than a decade ago now is something that we call the elite training assessment. And it's really an evaluation of overall skill to where we're taking all the sort of pillars, for lack of a better term, and we're taking the skills that all great bowlers have in common, and we found ways to measure them, and then we can kind of do it in an objective manner. So we're no longer um, really looking at it from with our coaching eyes and saying, well, I think this person's better than this person. You know, Steve, I obviously know you're a great bowler, so I watch Steve Klumpkin bowl, and I think, man, Steve Klumpkin, uh, he's just incredible. Uh, well, my wife could watch Steve bowl, and say, well, Steve's okay, but he's not really all that good. Mm. Well, who's right and who's wrong? You know, that's just opinion-based. But if we can break mm. things down into, like, standardized testing for bowling, and what we call it here at McKendry is your skill evaluation. So we evaluate everybody in terms of skill over the course of the first month of the school year. So we don't give spots away for team members. You know, if you come in, uh, I don't care if you're a first-team All-American or if you're an incoming freshman that's just kind of pretty much walking onto our program, you know, everybody goes through the same evaluation process. Um, and because of that, you know, we can, we can really track people's development from year to year, uh, from semester to semester. We can compare people. Uh, so we're not talking about, you know, someone comes to us from Rochester, New York, and averages 210, and someone comes from Portland, Oregon, and averages 210. Well, who's better? You know, obviously you guys as bowlers know that we're in a sport with so many variables that you don't know. The person in Rochester, New York could bowl in an old wood center with above ground ball returns where they still oil the lanes by hand. And so that 210 game and 210 average is going to be a lot different than the Portland, Oregon 210. Uh, so what we try and do, I know it's a long answer, but I tried to <laughs> concise it up as much as I could. Uh, but we try and just really uh, break it down into the the overall skill factors that make good bowlers good and make great bowlers great. So to answer the question, Steve, yes, I think it's, we're going to have more time to evaluate, uh, but the evaluation will actually take about the same amount of time. But then after that evaluation, instead of just kind of digging into the season, we're going to have another two and a half months to really, you know, look at the areas that these players need to improve upon and then have mm -hmm. time to develop plans and do that without feeling rushed or saying, well, geez, we're going to, this kid's going to Milwaukee this weekend you know, to compete on our varsity team, you know, do we really want to be talking about, you know, timing or do we want to really want to be talking about, you know, push away direction? You know, we don't want to really mm -hmm. you know, confuse things. So, uh, yeah. like I said, I know that was a long answer, but hopefully that came across and you guys understand what I'm talking about there. No, you, you sparked my interest when you talked about those performances that you're looking into. If you wouldn't mind going into maybe just a few of them, not giving away the, you know, the entire, uh, you know, the entire process, but just whether that's, is it mental game? Is it spare shooting? Is it, um, 
how you know how much is personal conduct, how they conduct themselves off the lanes, that sort of thing. I think that'd be interesting. Oh uh, sure, yeah, I, I don't have any issues with that. Uh, you know, it's not proprietary. I mean, I think you know all, everybody in the bowling industry has, you know, if you think about it for a quick second, makes sense. You know, these are just the physical tools. So obviously the mental game is a huge part of bowling. So all those things that you just mentioned, Tim, you know, how you're reacting. Um, there's things that there's things that uh, standardized testing or your yearly bowling physical, we also call it that, you know, like here's your bowling checkup for the year. Uh, there's certain things that those tests cannot measure. You know, it can't measure heart, can't measure work ethic, can't measure how kids are doing in the classroom, uh, can't measure their coachability. So there's lots of things that it can't measure. But uh, the pillars, in my opinion, that lead to modern game success of bowling are repeatability. So just repeating what you're trying to do. Um, it doesn't mean that the best players don't make mistakes. As we all know, even the best of the best throw bad shots. But the best of the best throw less bad shots than people of lesser skill level. And not only do they throw less bad shots, but generally the the severity of the bad shot isn't quite as severe. You know, they're not missing by five boards. They're just missing by a couple. Um, so repeatability is number one. Number two, spare shooting. You know, I always make the joke that you can walk up and down the halls in the Hall of Fame, and I want you to point out the bad spare shooters on those walls. You know, you're not going to find them. So repeatability, spare shooting, and then versatility. Versatility meaning being able to play all over the lane, left to right, being able to change ball speeds, being able to change hand positions, all that encompasses in terms of versatility. And then lastly, for the modern game of bowling, I feel like power is a big portion of it. Now, power isn't something that you need, but if you have power, then maybe you don't have to quite be as efficient in some of the other areas if you can equate power with that. So those are like the four pillars of modern day success that myself and our program kind of goes by, and we can track those areas pretty easily just with some standardized testing that we develop, help develop. Now that's, you know, you, you mentioned power and that's something that, uh, I know you, you like golf too. I like golf. Um, a lot of, a lot we of, sure do, the golf game. and like you, you look at, <laughs> you look at Bryson DeChambeau and yeah. he literally, he literally had back to back drives, uh, here at, at Jack's place of over 400 yards. You know, and I, and I tell you, there's got to be, I know when we had, uh, when, when you and I bowled in college, I mean, somebody who was a power player in our day would be considered very much a stroker, you know, in today's environment. So, you know, is oh, that for something, sure. would, would, you know, I mean, being the, being the, the head coach of junior team USA, I know you said there's different ways to get it done, but are you just seeing um, that much more uh, powerful type of releases and games? And if so, why, why has it changed so much over the last 30 years? Yeah, that's a great, great question, Steve. I, you know, I think genders are playing a difference in this. You know, the, the men's game has most certainly gone to, you know, massively powerful. Um, to your point, Steve, when we bowled uh, in college back in the mid and early 90s, you know, someone like Francois Lavoie, you know, for like a modern-day player, or mm -hmm. Josh Blanchard, you know, they would be considered power players mm -hmm. back in the 90s yeah. with us. And now you yeah. watch those guys bowl on tour and they're the ones that are staying to the right, the longest, they're in the strongest balls for the longest time. You know, they're the guys that, mm -hmm. you know, the two handers are just chewing up what's happening. And so a hundred percent, you know, the guy's game has just gone to that. Now, why, you know, I think it's just, you know, you just watch, you know, just, just like any sport, you know, the most powerful, the most athletic, the most 
the one who can repeat in sports where that matters, the ones who can do it the, the most powerfully, like look at golf, um, those are generally the ones who are going to be the best. And so, you know, I call it like the Tommy Jones era. I feel like Tommy was like the first one that really kind of mm. stepped through and, you know, changed, changed the game. He was the one making all the TV shows, just, you know, pushing it away and chasing his feet after it and cuck, cop, or cupping his elbow and just kind of giving it the yo-yo release and just there it goes. And he was doing it a lot. And so, you know, we're in the age of YouTube and videos and, you know, so much is done virtually anymore that people just emulate it. And then you start throwing in the two-handers and, you know, it's kind of hard to be a stroker and be a tweener type player with two hands. So yeah. you have all the Jason <laughs> Belmo players and, you know, all those guys. And so um, I think that's just kind of the way the game has gone, just the evolution of the game. Now, the one tough part with bowling versus golf is that they can make a golf course longer to where they can help combat, you know, the power. Uh, They're not making bowling lanes any wider. So, you know, at some point, you know, it's going to have to slow down a little bit. And, you know, I don't see many people getting higher than 600 RPMs because what good is it going to do? You know, there's only 39 boards on the lane now as it is. You know, it's not going to be 50. So they're not going to make the lane 70 feet long to make, give you more time to kind of hook it. So, you know, I don't know where we're going to go from here. Uh, but then conversely on the girls' side, you know, you're starting to see a little bit of an increase, but at a much smaller level, you know, percentage-wise, uh, the girls are, you know, I'd say still behind. You know, if you look at mm-hmm. the last couple of years, if, just look at last year's PWA points list. Uh, Shannon O'Keefe was number one. I wouldn't call Shannon a power player. Um, I would call her, you know, more of the tweener on the lady side. And then Danielle McEwen, I would call Danielle the, you know, tweener to a straighter player. Um, then Dasha Kovalova, same thing. I would call her tweener to a straighter mm-hmm. player. And then Liz Johnson, who, in my opinion, the, the greatest of all time, you know, obviously mm-hmm. known for being straight. So you're not mm-hmm. seeing the influx of the power players quite yet. I think it's going to happen. Uh, but it's still not quite there because, you know, experience, like I said, there's things in bowling you can't measure. You know, you can't measure, you know, someone's ability to move around the lane and just kind of dictate and play that invisible game of chess. Uh, you know, that's still stuff that you have to learn. And so I don't care how powerful you are, you still have to learn that aspect of the game. Well, Brian, let's um, let's switch gears a little bit and talk uh, back to college bowling and, and more the the logistics of things like, you know, I'm, I'm seeing in the ris- uh, the release from the USBC, they're talking about how, you know, the dates for the intercollegiate team championship singles and, and uh, reg- the singles and the tournaments are being planned for, for late spring or early summer. Can you talk about logistically, though, how late can that be? I mean, is is May about the latest we could go with something like that? Or, or for your for your program, everything is – could everything be pushed back? Or do you have any thoughts on, you know, what, what a sort of time window we're working on? And then also even regarding that, how do you prepare your team with these unknowns of this, you know, we're saying January, we're crossing our fingers and hoping, but that could be pushed back too depending on things. Sure. I think – I really think that middle to end of May is kind of – that's kind of, I feel like the Mendoza line of about as far as they can go. Uh, once again, this is just a personal opinion, no knowledge to this. Um, but I just feel like, you know, keeping kids in school after the institutions are already gone for the summer, that's going to be hard. Uh, you know, bowling's very unique where there's still a lot of club teams that aren't necessarily sponsored by the athletic department. And so, you know, asking those kids to stick around and pay everything out of pocket and, 
Um, you know, even with that being said, it's not like there's tons of bowlers who are just going to school for free. Uh, so people are paying to go to school to bowl. Um, you know, seems like the myths out there that there's a lot of free rides flowing around, but I don't think that's the normal. Uh, so with all that being said, I feel like that middle of March or middle of May, excuse me, that's probably when, you know, when the, that finals timeline or, you know, maybe even some graduation, um, it's going to be interesting. You know, a few sports have to deal with that every year. You know, some of the spring sports like baseball or lacrosse, you know, they have to deal with that every year, you know, kind of juggling how to take tests and then be also being on the road and then possibly even staying after the completion of the school year. But I feel like that middle of May is kind of the, is where if I was had some influence within USBC, that's kind of where I would kind of try and push it to if, if they had to push it back. It, and then and how our kids the, are going to, uh, yeah, go ahead, Steve. Oh, I was just going to say, uh, and if you want to finish that thought first, go ahead. If you had one more thing there, Brian. Well, and, uh, you know, Tim also asked, you know, and how are the kids, you know, the uncertainty of it all. Uh, yeah. I mean, that's why, you know, within our program, within the Team USA program, we always say to expect the unexpected. You know, if, if you're constantly just expecting everything to run smoothly, you're going to be sadly mistaken. And so, um, you know, we can only control what we can control. You know, it's all those cliches that you hear about. It's ironic how life is like sport. You know, you know, life almost mimics sports. And so, you know, we can't control what's happening. Uh, well, I guess we kind of can by social distancing and those types of things. But, you know, in the grand scheme of things, the legislation and such, um, you know, as the players, we can't control when things are going to come back. And so all we can do is try and prepare ourselves the best we can. And if that means that we have to, you know, take a little break and not practice for a while, then that's what's best for us to move forward. If it means when school comes back and we're practicing right away and we're just wearing masks and social distancing, then we'll do that. And we'll just try and be the best that we can be so that whenever the season does begin, that we're ready to go at it a hundred percent. And then, uh, you know, one of the things we got as a coaches, I'm a, I'm a silver coach, you're a gold coach, Brian, and uh, USBC coaching um, had just sent out something very recently um, regarding the use of the word certified in there and saying that, uh, you know, us as coaches now, for example, instead of being gold certified coach, that you, you know, ask that you'd refer to yourself as, as a gold coach. And I know that's one of the things that's come up. We've got a couple of us uh, here at Storm that are uh, gold level coaches, Peter Sumoff and uh, and Hank Boomershein, uh, for example, yep. are gold coaches. And what, is the, what does it mean to you to be a gold coach? And is that something that you had always uh, aspired to be? Or is that something that just kind of came about and you're like, ah, it's something I think I want to do? Yeah, well, if I go way back, you know, I aspired to be a professional bowler. You know, I was convinced that I was going to make money throwing a bowling ball down the lane my whole life. So, you know, back in high school when we, not even high school, I guess back when maybe elementary school, when you'd have like the career days. And, you know, they'd always bring uh, yeah. in different career people. Yeah, I would just go to the professional sports person if we had one of them because I was convinced I was going to bowl my whole life. <laughs> but so anyways, yeah, they, when, I, when I got into the, the, the coaching side of things, you know, at first I, I just kind of coached in the bowling center, didn't have any uh, certifications, I guess is what they were called then. And I didn't really have any really want or desire to do that. I was just, just trying to help some people. Uh, but then the more I started doing it and the more I started to help out with the youth, um, I said, you know, it'd probably be smart if I started to try and certify. And so I started that process. And then ironically enough, right around that time, I started working for USBC. And so that 
it became, you know, more apparent that, hey, I have to really get these certifications if I'm going to be working for the governing body. Uh, so started going that route. And then once I got into it, it was like, well, geez, let's see where I can go. You know, I, you know, coaching, coaching is a passion of mine and I, I love doing it. Um, just helping people. I love doing that. So, you know, I'm constantly trying to learn and just learn, you know, learn everything I can about the game, about sport in general, about the mental side of things. So what a better way than to try and, you know, prepare and, um, and try and learn as much as I can to become a gold coach. I don't know how many gold coaches there are, uh, across the world right now. I know there's not a ton. So to be considered in one of those, in that, that small amount, maybe 30, 35 people, somewhere around there. Um, I feel honored and blessed to be able to, you know, be in that, that little, you know, that little group of company. Yeah, no, that's a, that's definitely a great group to be in. There's, uh, there's no question about it. And you mentioned about learning, you know, and we had, uh, uh, Andy Dirks was on, uh, and, and he's a great coach as well. And he was actually talking a little bit, uh, about that, uh, desire to learn or want for more information, or I think he called it the, uh, more of a growth mindset rather than just wherever you're at, you're at. And that's what it is, you know? For sure. Yeah. We, uh, so Andy's one of, uh, he's on our team USA coaching staff. He's one of uh, my assistants on the junior team, uh, along with Mike Shady and Kelly Kulik. And, you know, as a coaching staff, you know, I think coach Shady is kind of the one that brought that to the table four years ago when we all started working together was, you know, we all have to have that growth mindset. You know, we're all here. We obviously we're all great teachers of the game, but you know, how can we make this the best learning experience for the players? And so, yeah, just as much as the players within the program, um, not only collegiately, but, through the national team, just as they're learning, you know, we're learning right along with them because like you said, our game's constantly changing and we have so many variables. So to just think that we know everything and we got it all down pat, that's just so naive. You mentioned Mike Shady, been seeing some stuff that you guys have been posting on Facebook. Looks like um, it's called backstage bowling and there's, there's some more coaching greats like yourself getting together. Can you share any, any little nuggets on that as far as what we can expect when you guys officially launch that project that you guys are working on? Uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's going to be exciting stuff. July 29th, that's our day. Uh, yeah, we all kind of put it together. Ironically enough, we didn't have that plan that we were all going to post this, a picture together, but we all did it the same day. Uh, so we just got done in Vegas doing uh, some different, um, I'll say, video shoots. Um, and really, uh, without giving away too much, I'm going to say that uh, we're really excited about an incredible collaboration of, in my opinion, some of the greatest minds of the game and hopefully offering a product that is new to bowling, um, something that hasn't been done and something that can make every bowler in America that wants to get better, give them a, a more readily accessible way to do so. Mm -hmm. That that makes sense without giving away too much. Okay. Yeah, no, it sounds, it sounds exciting and it sounds like there's a lot of cool stuff going on with it. And I, I mean, I know myself, you, you know how I am with my, my bowling game and my golf game, right? I'm like always pestering everybody for a, whether it's a bowling tip or a, something with my grip and my, uh, my takeaway, <laughs> of, you know, <laughs> so, I do sure know, I do know your golf tinkering. Uh, exactly. See, I, and I'm sure I'm not the only one when it comes to their bowling game as well as the same way. And, uh, uh, so if it gives them an opportunity to get better, it's, uh, I'm sure you have a lot of people that'll be one to one to find out more. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's exciting. We're really looking forward to it. We're only a couple weeks away. So, um, you know, hopefully people, uh, get excited as well. And they, 
you know, they want to be a part of, you know, an awesome community that we're going to try and build. All right. Well, Brian O'Keefe, director of bowling for McKendree University, junior team USA coach. Thank you for being here today on the podcast and all the best of luck moving forward with everything. And, and uh, if it has been a few years, I'm going to look that up, but we need to definitely stay in touch because uh, this is very insightful and, and I always appreciate you joining us. Well, gents, it is my pleasure. And like I said, whenever you guys uh, need to talk college bowling, I'm ready for it. Uh, so just uh, don't ever hesitate to reach out. And I appreciate you taking the time with me today and uh, hope you guys are staying safe and We'll meet again soon.